Welcome to Two Girls in a Grape, where we attempt to learn about wine one bottle at a time. I'm Drea, and Valentine's Day is a scam. Fight me. And I'm Jules, and I really hate those candy hearts. Fight me. Man, we coming in hot, <laughs> per usual. <laughs> Love is all around. <laughs> and if you can't tell, we are celebrating Valentine's Day this episode. So uh, I think we've got a unique take on it and a unique wine pairing to go with it. But before we get into all that, let's kick off with our recurring segment, Cheers and Jeers. Jules, what are you cheersing and jeers in this episode? I'm cheersing today to the cabin's fireplace. Love that. Because it saved our lives? It did save our lives. (laughs) So that takes me right into the jeers. Which is to not having heat in a mountain cabin when you walk in with your friends and it's 34 degrees inside the house and you can see your breath. Yeah, it was, it was, as I said to Jules, I don't camp, so. She does not (laughs) camp, everyone. We're going to have to figure this out. (laughs) Yeah. Heat's a beautiful thing when you have it. Oh, it felt amazing. (laughs) Uh, You know, we even turned the oven on and we're standing in front of the oven Breathing the, breathing the fumes as one And my does. neighbor was very <laughs> concerned about that. So, yeah. So, yeah. So, cheers to a massive fireplace and lots of firewood. And cheers to a motherfucking furnace being broken. Because we're still clearly in winter. That's the thing. Well, up in the mountains, it is winter. It's in the mid-20s at night. So, it's legit winter yeah. up there. Yeah. Not San Diego winter. West Coast winter? What? It's mountain Mountain winter. Anywho, what are you cheersing today? I am cheersing wine. Oh, it's so good to be back. It's so good to be back. I've, I've got to say, I'm, I'm glad I did the sugar detox experiment. It felt really good. I feel like it got me back to a good baseline. But man, I miss some wine. So it is very good to be back. And, um, yeah, Jules and I may or may not have had turned it up at the cabin in more ways say, than one. <laughs> she definitely got back on the wine bottle this weekend. It was like I never With a partner in crime. I'm not saying that was just her. It was both of us. There was quite the collection of wine consumed. I feel pretty good about like our bottle count too. Like it really wasn't bad. Yeah. It could have been a lot worse. Or a lot better, depending on how well, you look at it. <laughs> we didn't start drinking until proper, like, dinner time. That's true. Because that furnace situation really fucked up our, like, Ooh. plans. Well, I'm surprised we didn't start drinking earlier that day. That's true, because we were cold. Yes. I, you know what it we was? We made a lot of tea, actually. Yeah. And I really I really didn't want to have to pull off my pants to go to the bathroom. No, no. there's that mm-hmm. as well. Yeah. yeah, because she doesn't camp. What are you jeersing to? I am jeersing, in case you didn't notice from my intro, Valentine's Day. It's dumb. I hate it. And I hate, like, the act of going out for Valentine's Day. So once in a while, John catches me in a moment of weakness, and I agree to do it because he likes it. But I just, I hate it. You know, like, someone is crying in one corner because they're getting engaged, which, basic, by the way. Yes. Someone is crying in the other corner because they're not getting engaged. Basic, also dump him. Not worth it. The food is cold. The service is bad. It's fucking yes. expensive. People are a mess. I'm just not interested. I'm not interested in the whole thing. So um, I'm over it. 
There you have it, everyone. Yeah. <laughs> cheers and wow. cheers. 2023 has been grim so far. Has it? I mean, according to our cheers and jeers. Not really. Oh, man. All right. I well, mean, we're forced into coming up with a with a negative thing to jeers, so. Yeah, but we're, we're the ones forcing it. So well, clearly, we got a lot to say. I have a lot to say. Always. <laughs> Well, well, tell our, our reader something we they don't know. <laughs> and there you have it. Our cheers and jeers. Now, you've all met Hot Rob and the Silver Fox on the show. Some of you are even fans, whatever, it's fine. Uh, And when they are not crashing our podcast, they are busy being married to us. And we keep them busy. We do. And somehow, after 15 and 16 years, respectively, we've kept them around. It's a big fucking deal. (laughs) It's a huge deal. Because in honor of Valentine's Day and for this episode, Shawinigans, we're telling stories of when romance goes wrong. Prepare yourselves. (laughs) So, Jules, tell us about the time where romance went wrong. This isn't really a Valentine's Day uh, story, but it is a Rob made Jules cry on Christmas Day story. Oh, damn. I know. Taking a deep. It's bad. (laughs) Rob, you know you did wrong. (laughs) So, for... um, It was probably, I would say... 14 years ago. It's been a long time. But and Mama, this still Mama's, got, you. Mama's got an elephant memory. Actually, no, Rob and I joke about this because he's like, oh, this, that, that was such a disaster. So this is when the iPad was kind of coming in onto the market or had been on the market, but it was kind of a big deal, right? And they were very expensive. They're still really expensive. And I was pretty clear about the fact that I did not like the iPad. I wasn't interested in the iPad. Whatever. I'm, I'm not a big technology person in general. People know this about me. Like, I don't... This our, is true. Our TV is, like, fucking 10 years old. Much to Rob's chagrin. So, iPad and Jules not really going together. So, Christmas Day comes... You know, it's my favorite day. I love Christmas. It fucking is your love favorite day. I need to be the last one to open a present. It's a thing. Rob saves the best for last. It's an iPad. And I legit sat there with the box on my lap and burst into tears. Because that was absolutely not what I wanted for Christmas. And I looked at him and I said... What part of I don't want an iPad do you not understand? What did you, do you remember what you asked for that year? Uh, oh, Zoya, do you remember what you asked for? I, I don't really ask for specific, I didn't used to ask for specific things. We used to kind of tell each other things throughout the year that we were interested in. Or there was usually some, you know, hint that was given. But I specifically said I did not want the iPad. Yeah, take note, for sure. So that was not his best move. He thought he was being really thoughtful and really sweet and generous, and he literally made me cry on Christmas Day, and it was the worst. But then he got real pissed when he was the one that had to return it. (laughs) So Rob (laughs) thinks... 
<laughs> Rob does not believe in the giver of a gift having to return it. That's not how that works. Well, I think in a couple, no. Oh, but yeah, like, if in I a gave couple. you a gift and I gave you a gift receipt, I would not expect you to come back to me and be like, <laughs> I don't want this, you need to return it. Right, no, but like when you're married to someone and right. you're in the same house, yeah, yes. absolutely not. To this day, he hates having to return stuff that he buys. He thinks that once he's bought it, that's it. He can wipe his hands of it. <laughs> Does he want to go shopping with me? <laughs> I have a few things on my list. <laughs> he probably does not want to go shopping with me. Yeah, so it's not really about romance. You know, Andrea and I were trying to think about what shenanigans were going to be for this episode, and we were talking about, like, bad dates or dates gone wrong. And I honestly have not had a bad date. And I don't mean that to be obnoxious. First of all, I haven't had that many dates. And Rob and I knew each other for eight years before we got together. So. Yeah, so let's let's find the disclaimer here. Jules doesn't think her and Hot Rob dated. No, I think we dated, but we just really didn't have any bad dates. And, and we didn't go on, like, dates. We were dating, so it was like, we're going out to dinner, we're doing this, we're doing that. Also, he's pretty fun, right? Yeah, he's, he's a good fun. time. Yeah. He's a good time. And also, I'm the one that plans all the things, so. Yeah, Jules is like, I don't never had a, a bad date. date. Yeah, I don't plan a shitty date, so there's that. So, so if that's you'd a like, very short and if when you'd romance like, goes wrong. If you'd story. like to date Jules, there you go. Her number is. <laughs> How about you, Drea? So I actually have a good one that is also a deep cut. Um, this was when Silver Fox and I were, were dating, so. They were dating. God, this must have been like. 50 years ago. <laughs> Probably like 18, 20 years ago, like it's been a hot minute. And it was one of the first like weekend getaways that we took together. Mm -hmm. So we went up to Fort Ross on the Russian in the Russian River Valley. And it's this great little town on the sea cliffs. And there's really nothing to do up there but chill out. What? Drink wine. <laughs> yep. Chill out, drink wine, watch movies, go on a hike, stuff like that. And, um, John's attempt at romance, I mean, he got half. I want to give him some credit. He got halfway there. You know, we stood at this, like, great lodge. It was right on the sea cliff. It was great. It was gorgeous. But he's like, I've got a whole evening planned for us, a romantic evening. I'm like, ooh, what you, what you got going, huh? And he pulls out. So this is, like, back in the day when there's still, like, you know, DVDs and DVD players in these lodge places. I know, right? And so he pulls out a DVD of Apocalypse Now. And a, Oh, that's sexy. Right? Yeah. Who doesn't want that? That's going to get you in the mood. Yep. And a bottle of Francis Ford Coppola wine. And he was like, look, you love a theme. Because everyone knows I love a theme. She loves And I love a commitment a to a theme. He's like, we have a theme. And I was like... Oh, but the seam is rough. I was like half credit awarded. <laughs> and to like make it even worse, our room had a ceiling fan. And there's that whole fucking thing in Apocalypse Now with the ceiling fan. So then after this movie and this shitty bottle of wine, he's like, look, the ceiling fan. I'm like, that's no, it. No, I'm gonna, done. I, we're done. I'm going to throw you off this fucking cliff. So he got better. He did get better with the dates. And, and... I don't remember the last time he planned one, but when he was, like, trying to get my attention and, you know, um, 
back before we were married, like, his dates were good. We yeah. did, like, some cool shit when he planned them. And I got to... Got to figure out how I can prod that Ugh. back into Silver Fox action. needs to give the hot Rob some uh, pointers on planning a date. Well, it has been like 15 years, so, you know. Boys, if you're listening, maybe this is your fucking wake-up call. Plan a good date for your wives. Happy Valentine's Day. Schweidigans. For this very special Valentine's Day episode and bottle number 49, we have picked a Francis Ford Coppola Vendetta red wine circa 2015. Price point for this wine is about $20. ABV is 13.5%. And we picked this wine because we decided to theme this episode after the St. Valentine's Day massacre. I mean, the label also has bullet holes in it, so it kind of really... She loves the theme. Drea loves the theme. Seems so romantic. So I've actually found this in a grocery store. Sent her a picture. And I was like, uh, pretty sure I just found our St. Valentine's Day Massacre wine. Because we know we couldn't pick like a wine that was all like lovey-dovey about like actual Blech. fucking love Valentine's Day. Absolutely we went with not. the macabre. So Drea, tell us a little bit about this uh, wine that we're going to be drinking today. So this one and is. And we're going to love, by the way. Oh, yeah, we, we've got some bets we've going on. We've got bets going on. on how we're going to feel about this bottle. Uh, so this is a red blend, and it is comprised of 50% Cabernet Sauvignon, 26% Syrah, 13% Malbec, 6% Zinfandel, and 5% Cobb Franc. So I'm, I'm fairly, like, feeling good about that. Yeah, I mean, that's, like, a nice blend. Like, all of those things play really nice together. I like all of those individually. I like that there's, like, that 5% Cobb Franc in there. Yep. So, um, it the blend itself shows promise. Coppola began making the Vendetta blend in 2013. And it is a blend of grapes from California's Mendocino County and Monterey County, And this wine is meant to be reminiscent of the Prohibition Age, which it is inspired by. Hence, the St. Valentine's Day massacre theme. At the time of the wine's debut, Coppola said, quote, I don't know how much I'm permitted to say about this. Knock three times and whisper Vendetta, the wine whose name you can't say in public. Don't talk about Vendetta. Drink it. Oh, okay. Right? I mean, I'm liking this wine more and more. Well, and what I love about it is um, Coppola always intended for this bottle to kind of imagine that story uh, of the Prohibition era and imagine that story of the gangsters of that time. And he talks a lot in reading a number of interviews in preparation for this episode. He talks a lot about wine as storytelling and wine as narrative, which we both know I fucking love so the, it's making me feel a little bit more hopeful. It's making me feel a little bit more hopeful. So we will see. But before we really dive into this bottle and um, Coppola's journey into winemaking, Jules, why don't you lay down some fun facts about our inspiration for this episode, the St. Valentine's Day Massacre? Why, well, I'd love to. Thanks, Drea. You're welcome. <laughs> While most people associate Valentine's Day with love and hearts and candy and overpriced flowers and other bullshit like that. Note to the boys, no flowers, please, on Valentine's Day. Also, it's bullshit. Like, just don't overpay for flowers on Valentine's Day. Anyway, back to the episode. 
We're diving into the darker side of Valentine's Day. On February 14th, 1929, seven members of Chicago's North Side gang of mobsters were lined up against a wall and shot by four unknown assassins. Today, this event is known as the St. Valentine's Day Massacre. Dun, dun, dun. What makes this story, Two Girls and a Grape Worthy, is that it's rooted in prohibition. Y'all know we love some history. We love to dig in. So here we go. Gang warfare had ruled the streets of Chicago during the 1920s as famed gangster Al Capone dominated the bootlegging trade by undercutting and sometimes just cutting his rivals. Ushered in by the passage of the 18th Amendment in 1920, prohibition was big money for American gangsters. Bootlegging and speakeasies became foundational moneymakers and started many a turf war. To help illustrate what was at stake, Capone's income from these activities was estimated at some $60 million a year, and his net worth in 1927 was around $100 million. I would love to do the calculation of in today's money, what does that equate to? It's insane. That is in the 20s. Yeah. Doing illegal shit. I mean. I mean, well, today, illegal shit. Anyway, (laughs) all the fucking one percenters out there. And they're illegal shit. You know that's what they're doing. Oh, they're hiding yeah. their money and they're fucking fuck, finding all their loopholes. Anywho, we digress. I digress. Back to the story. The rivalry for control over prohibition-related industries came to a bloody climax in a garage on the city's north side on February 14th, 1929, when seven men associated with the Irish gangster George Bugs Moran, one of Capone's longtime enemies, were shot to death by several men dressed as policemen. The St. Valentine's Day Massacre remains an unsolved crime and was never officially linked to Capone, but he was generally considered to have been responsible for the murders. When police officers from the from Chicago's 36th district arrived, they found one gang member, Frank Gusenberg, barely alive. In the few minutes before he died, they pressed him to reveal what had happened, but Gusenberg wouldn't talk. Police could find only a few eyewitnesses, but eventually concluded that gunmen dressed as police officers had entered the garage, pretended and pretended to be arresting the men. Though Moran and others immediately blamed the massacre on Capone's gang, the famous gangster himself claimed to have been at his home in Florida at the time, and no one was ever charged with the murders. Perhaps the famous cold case of all time. The fact that he was living in Florida makes him really guilty. <laughs> You're like, nah, it's not cold. It's hot. It's hot in Florida. In Miami hot. <laughs> so there you have a little history on the St. Valentine's Day Massacre that happened in Rob's hometown of Chicago. Look at that. That's so cool. Drea, tell us more about the about Coppola, the winemaker, and the winery that's up in um, Napa. So, in honor of the dark and bloody history that Jules just shared with us, we have selected Coppola's Vendetta Red. And in addition to this themed wine, Coppola also directed perhaps the most famous gangster movie of all time, 1972's The Godfather. Uh, And for those of you who, you know, love podcasts, I have to put in a plug for one of my favorites, which is called Villains. You can find it on Spotify. Their episode on Don Corleone and Michael Corleone is amazing. So check it out. But uh, Coppola's venture into winemaking didn't really start until after he began his film career. Or or 
excuse me, while Coppola's venture into winemaking did not start until after he began his film career, winemaking was part of his family heritage. So think back to watching The Godfather and kind of the scenes that are shot in Italy and these mobsters walking amongst the vines and the orchards. That was kind of like Coppola's heritage in many ways. I mean, hopefully minus all the mafia shit. But as a mm, child, probably Coppola, not. probably not. Coppola's grandfather and uncle made homemade wines in the basement of his family's New York City apartment, transplanting that tradition from Italy to New York. These humble beginnings planted the seeds for growing a winemaking legacy. In 1972, when Coppola directed The Godfather and received an Oscar for Best Picture in 1973, he then directed the sequel, The Godfather II, in 1974. This allowed him to have enough capital in 1975 to purchase the Nebaum Estate, which was part of the legendary Inglehook property in Napa Valley. For those of you who know Napa well, you know Inglehook is one of the most historic vineyards in that area that covered over a hundred acres of grape producing vines. He filed for a winery license in 1978 and production began in 1979 under the Nibam Coppola label the same year that Apocalypse Now was released. While the groundwork for Coppola wines was laid in the 1970s, the Francis Ford Coppola winery brand that many will recognize today from grocery store shelves and of course uh, the vineyard was not really established into July until July of 2010. Part of this is because his initial years in the wine business were difficult ones. Coppola notes, quote, we were new at this. I had to figure out how to run the property, he said. The first few vintages, Coppola sold the grapes to Hublin, which is another winery. Um, and in addition to problems with getting the vineyards started, he himself said that his movie career was, quote, in the toilet at that time. That Coppola's career was in the toilet? Right. So Apocalypse Now, um, despite John's affinity for it, was not well received by critics, okay. right? It was, act even though we think of it now as a film masterclass in filmmaking, at the time it didn't do well with critics, it didn't do well at the box office, and he was pouring a ton of money into these films that weren't really making doing anything. Yeah, making yeah. the money. So they kind of press on at the winery while all of this is going on with his film career. And the first wine, the Rubicon, was released under the um, Nibam Coppola winery label in 1978. It didn't sell. Nor did the next several vintages of the wine. Jeez, this guy. In fact, the Persistent. 78 didn't even go on the market fully until 1985. And Coppola recalls, quote, I didn't know how to sell it. I was just building up in a local storage facility, wow. which is crazy to me, right? And I wonder what those bottles are worth now or if there's any of them left in, like, their library. Do we know what the Rubicon was, uh, uh, varietal-wise? I, I don't know. That's something we would probably find out, though. I think it was a blend. Um, the turning point for the Rubicon, Coppola says, though, was the, actually tied to his movie career. And that was the success of Bram Stoker's Dracula, the 1992 movie that ended his years of box office drought. His earnings from that film paid for the 1995 acquisition of the front vineyards and the chateau to really get the property going. It also stimulated Coppola to get serious about the wine business, and he hired a professional staff to run it. 
gee, professionals <laughs> getting it done. <laughs> oh, duh. In addition, um, he created the Francis Ford Coppola label, and the business quickly grew from there. So it's at that moment that he really branches off into Co just Coppola wines, right? The business uh, grew to the point where they acquired their the current home of Coppola Wines in Sonoma in 2006. In 2012, I thought this was actually fascinating, the winery became certified sustainable through the California Sustainable Wine Growers Alliance. So that's, that's cool, I'm into that. Um, and today, Coppola Wine works with over 150 local producers in Sonoma, Napa, Mendocino County to produce their wines. In addition, they produce a large catalog of wines uh, including their diamond line and director cuts line with bottles ranging from $8 to $120. And I actually really appreciate this. Um, and I, you know, a lot of the larger houses up in the Napa Sonoma region do this like Mondavi, Behringer, Meridian, uh, kind of those big labels that you see in the grocery store where they do have that complete line. Mm -hmm. They have those $8 wines that make it accessible and easy. To everybody. And like, yeah. And like, yeah. listen, like, that's how I got into wine. I remember I thought I was fucking hot shit drinking some Behringer Cabernet Sauvignon from the grocery Yellow store. Yellowtail. Yeah, there you go. I mean, right? hello. You yeah. know, some, oh, what else? Uh, I oh, we, should do, we should do an episode of just like, what were the <laughs> shitty wines that we drank? But, you know, I don't even want to say that they were shitty. It's just now our palates have evolved. Right, yeah. I mean, they're so, entry point hey, wines, right? Gordon Ferguson still loves his yellowtail Shiraz, so. Good for Gordon. Love that for him. <laughs> and, but, you know, all the way up to these $120 bottles, which really have a lot more finesse, are probably a steak grown or single vineyard wines, um, and really showcase, like, the winemaking powers behind the vineyard. So, lots to discuss with this bottle, and I am intrigued by it. And you ready to open it up? I've got high hopes. I've got some good expectations. So let's see what happens. To be continued. BRB, everybody. We have popped the cork. We have poured the wine into our glass. So we are going to get into our tasting. First up. What do we see in the glass? What colors? So this is a pretty inky wine. I yes. mean, when you think about all the different varietals that are in there, especially like Syrah, the, Mal the Malbec, the Zen, like it's going to create, I think, that deep, dark, opaque red that has a violet undertone to it. So it's definitely got like those blue or violet notes to this glass. So if you're someone who likes... Um, an inky red, this is for you. And, you know, we've talked a lot on the show about color as an indicator of taste, right? Mm -hmm. And so for this type of coloring on a red wine, you expect some boldness. Yeah. I think you're, you expect it to be um, pretty robust. We also expect that from the blend itself. Right, 50% yeah. cab. Like, I would, I would be concerned if it were kind of light or translucent yes it's very to me it looks really dense yes. and opaque like it looks heavy in the glass and it's got some good legs on it it does well and you know this is a 
2015, right? So yeah. it's it's been on the ball for a while. Like yeah. that's now you're talking about an eight. She's been marinating for some time. An eight year vintage that you're getting from the grocery store. Like that's pretty impressive, I think. Okay, so up next is the nose because we taste first with our nose, right? With our eyes. Oh, our nose. I fucking forgot that our the eyes. <laughs> it's oh. a feast for the eyes. God, whatever. I don't even. I can't even tell Just you. Just drink what, the wine. I can't tell you what the parts of my face are. It's fine. It's fine. <laughs> okay, so what are you getting on the nose from this wine? I the first thing that I got was pepper, like spice. And pepper, which I'm assuming is going to be coming from the Syrah. Yeah, I'm probably a little bit from the Zin too. Um, yeah, I mean, it's definitely got, you know, and this, it's, I also smell a little bit of like that alcohol content too mixed with that. Definitely. And also to be clear and transparent with our listener, we ended up aerating the wine after we poured it into our glasses because really all we were smelling was the alcohol. It was yeah. really sharp. And I said, well, why don't we try aerating it? So we aerated our glasses into a different glass back into our wine glasses. And that really helped us be able to detect the different um, notes on the nose. Absolutely, yeah, but it's still a little there. I mean, and listen, part of that has to be expected, right? This is a big boy. It's thirteen point five percent, and we didn't open it ahead of time. We literally opened it, poured it into a glass, and started doing our thing because we were fools. So here we are. But yeah, aerating will learn. definitely help. Help. You but, can learn from our mistakes. Okay, so <laughs> do we though? Do we? Do but, we? But, so once you get past like kind of the the sharper notes, right? The pepper, the alcohol. What do you What are you picking up on? Dark fruits, the dark arts. <laughs> How appropriate for our bloody Valentine's. And also season. now, so now it's been a few minutes since we aerated it, and it's been sitting. You know what's weird? I'm getting is like burnt marshmallow. Oh, okay. Like, it, like not caramelized sugar, but like you know how. I, don't, I feel like burnt marshmallow has a very specific taste. That's interesting because, well, maybe the Malbec, because I, I usually get like that marshmallow kind of feel from like Merlot's, especially if they've been steel tank fermented, but um, okay. All right. So I'm getting a little bit more Any of the, the kind of traditional, like definitely cherry, um, plum, a little bit of like the tobacco now that it's opened up a bit more like some baking spice like nutmeg things like that hmm. so that's that's i mean i have no idea if that's what i'm gonna get in my mouth but i don't well, let's find out all right let's find out should we do this what are we tasting all right so first off aeration helps a whole lot it really does. And um, it has helped even just after aerating it, the glass sitting for these last like five minutes after we aerated it, mm -hmm. it's, it has smoothed out yeah. significantly from when we first opened it. The other thing too is like the, no the note on the nose is like that first thing you get is pepper. And mm -hmm. for me, on with the tasting, I don't get like a white pepper until the finish. Mm -hmm. It's, you know, it, uh, as... 
the wine leaves your mouth and kind of the taste lingers. I'm getting like a little bit of that peppery sensation on the sides of my palate. Um, but that initial drink, I think is really fruit forward. So I'm getting plum, mm -hmm. black currant, again, that chair. So those, those. It's a little jammy. Yeah, kind of more. In a good way. No, in a good way for yeah. sure. Try, more along the lines of like um, black fruits or blue fruits. And so we tend to think of like the red fruits. Um, so like red plums, raspberries, strawberries, more on the end of like lighter reds, right? Whereas your black fruits and your blue fruits, blackberries, black currants, um, dark plums, dark cherries, things of that nature, blueberries, are kind of on your heavier red side. And, you know, considering the different varietals that are in this blend, that makes sense. But, yeah, I mean, it's not bad. I think it's, it's surprisingly very nice. I think this is a good, like, weekday wine, is what I would say. <laughs> oh, wait. <laughs> Why are you laughing? <laughs> I'm laughing because, like... You know, any wine is really good weekday well, wine. That's true, but like, are you saying because of the price point? Well, the price I feel like this is like a banger for a weekday. Like this is like thirteen and a half percent, pretty bold, pretty heavy. Well, I'm not saying to drink the whole bottle yourself as you're watching well, like the listen. Bachelor or something. <laughs> hey, and if you do that, dear listener, do not feel judged by Drea. Actually, you feel judged by Drea, but not by me. Whatever. I was your friend. I'm judging you hard. Um, so let's talk about what. Okay, what? Okay, Drea's pairing this with a Tuesday night. No, I'm not. All right, the Bachelor oh pajama sweatpants. <laughs> That's just, and a bag of popcorn. That's just my life, you guys. It's just <laughs> my life. Let me have it. Let me have my misery. Um, no. Okay. So food wise, like I really think this needs to be served with something that can like stand up to it. And, yeah. Um, steak. Yeah, like some sort of red meat, right, for sure. Like, I think that it needs it needs a food that is going to complement it and that it's not going to overshadow. Like, if you have, even like a pork, I wouldn't, I wouldn't do with this guy. Simply because it really needs, you don't want the wine to mask all these flavors. Um, I would do a steak. I would do a burger. I would actually, I made a dish last week that I was pretty proud of. It was a spicy beef um, ramen with grilled bok choy, scallions. Oh, she's so fucking fancy. And a uh, soy vinegar sauce. And like, I actually think the flavors in that would really go nicely with something like this. So... Shut up. Also, you didn't think I was fancy was making you a steak? I did think you was fancy. Oh, Jesus. All right. But, um, yeah. So, I think it, I think you need some red meat. But also, like, get a burger and fries. Go to town. Why not? On a Tuesday. Go to town on a Tuesday. A meat How lover's pizza. Oh, nice. I like With that like idea. Pepperoni, sausage, Canadian bacon. What's the other meat that they put on pizza? Salami? That's like pepperoni. Anywho, a meat lover's pizza, I think, would be really good with this. Like, uh, not a thin crust pizza, though. It'd have to be something with, a, a like, a good, solid Crust, dough. yeah. Yeah. For sure. Um, I mean, even, like, 
since we're going down that vein and since it is Coppola. You don't get to change. You already did your pairing. God, fine. I was just going to say a nice bolognese sauce. Fine. She wants to have all the I want to eat all the things on a Tuesday. All right. What's your situation? What are you what are you doing while you're drinking this wine? Situation, I feel like because it's not a particularly special wine in terms of price point and um it's not difficult to get, I don't think. Like I would just say like this is a chill you don't need to be doing anything in particularly special. Maybe it's like sitting down to watch your favorite show. Yeah, having a crime drama, perhaps. A crime drama, perhaps. What was uh, that show? Chicago PD, perhaps. The Godfather, perhaps. Or yeah, a movie. Yeah. Like a good <laughs> Why not? prohibition type movie. The Untouchables. That. <laughs> Never ending story. <laughs> Obviously, I kid. I kid. Disney cartoons. Yeah, no, I think that's solid. Like, again, I feel like this is a good option for, like, you are, you're making dinner. It's a hearty dinner. Mm-hmm. You want something to go with it. It's, it's not, um, it's also not overbearing and over serious, right? Like, it's pretty fun and it, um, it's approachable as a blend. So, yeah, I think that this can fit into a lot of different scenarios. And I think as a blend, you can serve it to, Anyone that drinks red wine. I mean, it's oh, going to sure. be yeah. fairly universally liked as long as you're serving it with the right thing. Absolutely. And what's entertaining you while you're drinking this well, wine? Well, I kind of already talked about that as oh, I normally do. God, you're so... Well, un- I mean, situation and entertainment <laughs> kind of go hand in hand. So I'm entertaining myself by watching a drama, crime drama. I feel like that's solid, though. What was that show we watched last weekend? My Worst roommates ever. Oh yeah, and they're all murderers. Like that. They're yeah. all murderers. They're all serial killers. Yeah. So you know, just get, just get your true crime Netflix and wine situation mm-hmm. on. Grab totally. those sweatpants. Do what you gotta do. But yeah, I'm pleasantly surprised. I am pleasantly not surprised. I had a feeling it was going to be decent. Okay, optimist. Whatever. Yeah, I was. I was. I was. The whole time, my expectations were that it was going to be decent. You're a good person. Because my thing is, it's still $20. And I know that price doesn't always, like, say what it could be. Because Andre and I opened up a bottle of wine at the cabin that was a $30 bottle of wine, and we literally poured it out because it was no bueno. It was no bueno. We're not sure if it was corked. We think it was corked, but it might have just actually not been a great wine. It had some wet dog up on it. Um, also, though, we have had $20 bottles of wine on the show that have been, like, Yes, but this is also Coppola, so big producer. For $20, I feel like that was giving me the kind of like, this should be like a decent wine. Well, the thing I will... A drinkable wine versus one that we poured out in the sink. Right. Which has happened a little too often lately. I know. We really got to get our shit together here. But I will say this about Coppola. You know, they have been really smart about their business model. I mean, they have bought some very historic properties that are known for producing excellent grapes that have, you know, old vines by California standards. So we're talking in the 40 to 60 year range. Uh, And the fact that they are now a sustainable property, I think is really attractive too. And frankly, that comes out in the winemaking. I mean, um, this is very different from the apocalypse wine incident of like 2005 or whatever that was. John, our bad day. Oh, okay. <laughs> Got it. So yeah, I'm on board. Okay. 
So where can um where can everybody buy this wine? As you know, I already mentioned I bought it at my local grocery store called Barons. Not a big fancy chain. It's a chain, but it's not a big fancy store. So I would imagine you'd be able to find it at Avon's, a Ralph's, a Myers. I'm trying to think of Piggly Wiggly. I think that sort of any grocery store that has a pretty extensive wine section. So. You know, if you've got like a wine aisle in your grocery store, you're going to be good to go. But even if you can't find this particular one, Coppola wines are everywhere. Yeah. From your local grocery store to your local liquor store to your Total Wines, your BevMo's. So you do have lots of options. Um, I highly recommend taking a look at the Coppola Winery website and just sort of going through their offerings and their catalog to see what they have that may one fit your taste and two fit your budget so next episode we are kind of continuing our february valentine's day thing with a little bit of a special galentine's episode Valentine's. Valentine's, uh and we are celebrating our recent two girls and a grape road trip up to idlewild so stay tuned for all of that information and you can learn more about what we're drinking on our Instagram. So you can follow us at two girls in a great pod. That's T W O girls in a great pod. If you have questions, concerns, ideas for episodes, requests, you can also email us at two girls in a great pod at gmail.com. And until next time, salute. salute. Cheers everyone. <laughs>